Hey everybody, how you doing? This is Coffee Chug, guys. I'm here with another edition of Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast with the nerdy teacher. Guys, this is someone who I have always wanted to have a conversation with, and when he agreed to jump onto the show, I'm not going to not gonna lie, had a little, little fanboy moment, um, and was super excited to be able just to spend about 35-40 minutes picking his brain, asking questions, talking about all sorts of important things, all the way from Willy Wonka to NeverEnding Story, to all those things that can help us as a classroom educator. So even if you're not in a makerspace, or you're not into the, the making realm, or you don't see yourself that way, even though you probably are in some capacity this episode he gives you so many great ideas just to think about your classroom application and so don't go away if you don't consider yourself a maker um, and so I, I I hope that you have a pen and pay, pencil ready because you're going to need it the amount of ideas that he shares hopefully you check out the show notes and everything on the blog I have tons of links and quotes and graphics and things for you and as always you know if you enjoy these podcasts Please, please, please share with people, share online, share with your friends, get the message out there. The more we gain um, in terms of traction, um, the more amazing people we can bring onto the show. And, and, and really more importantly, um, it's that idea of sharing with one another, right? Um, and then it's, it's my job to continue to create great content. And, and so those are the things that we work through in the seventh flow. So before I throw you into this episode, you know, just a quick reminder to any reviews and all that good stuff is always helpful, but also let you know that we're in the process of a, a, a new project, um, making a difference with compassion making. We've got a, a project going on right now of creating some things for your classroom and we're moving into October of connecting with classrooms all over the world. So make sure you check that out. It's on my blog. You'll see it. And uh, we look forward to you on there. And without further ado, let's jump into this episode. Let's go. Woke up at six o'clock in the morning, chilling with coffee mugs, me and coffee chugs, talking education all across the nation, pushing boundaries, thinking innovation. Aaron Mauer, outside the box thinker, here to teach each and every teacher how to tinker. Living on the edge of chaos, born insane. Listening to coffee chugs like happy for the boring. One of the top teachers in Iowa, word is born. Here to show the world that there's more here than corn. Chaos. Hello everyone, how you doing? This is Coffee Chug, and we are here with another episode on Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast, and as we've talked about all season, we're really diving into amazing educators and people doing some profound work in the classrooms and in their schools, and importantly, more importantly, trying to get people to realize that you too can do this work, and today I'm here with a guest who I've I've crossed paths in, in conferences and things like that. Never, I don't think we've ever actually engaged in conversation in, in, in person, but I've been following the, this guy for, for quite some time, and he's, and he's doing some, some groundbreaking work um, in, in what he's doing in terms of STEM and makerspace and, and, and language arts and everything under the sun and all his new jobs and everything else. And so um, why don't we start off, and why don't um, – nerdy, nerdy teacher here, why don't you introduce yourself, tell everybody who you are and what you do for those that actually don't know you, which I'm, I'm not – sure there's too many left that aren't involved in makerspace or stem uh hi thanks for having me on <laughs> um it's a heck of an introduction i don't know if there's anything left for me to say um <laughs> i um geez um so i am currently the director of a makerspace at university liggett school um, in michigan it's a, a independent school um i primarily work with the middle school and the uh, high school 
Um, it is the oldest independent school in the state of Michigan, so I'm really excited to be part of a, a wonderful tradition. And um, they brought me in last year to build a makerspace, um, and that's what I was going to do. It was crazy. I, I built one at my previous job as a high school English teacher, and they said, we want a makerspace. Um, you literally wrote a book on how to build a makerspace, and we want you to do it. And they've been wonderful in the support. And currently, they are installing two doorways to connect all three rooms to expand my makerspace threefold. Um, so we will have a design space, a prototyping space, and a fabrication space. And I had pitched the idea with one of those, okay, I'll aim for the fences, and they'll be like impressed by my like excitement to do something big. But obviously not right away. But they said yes. And then I was like, oh, crap, now I have to plan for this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now I need to figure out a whole host of logistics to make this happen. So, um, yeah, so I moved out of the traditional classroom, and now um, I run the makerspace. I work with teachers um, to bring them in the makerspace with technology integration as well. So I'm also a tech coach and makerspace director. I'm also the uh, middle school robotics um, co-coach as well. Uh, so yeah, so I've been doing all of that. And then I just published, um, my uh, newest book, uh, maker mentality, which is more about the culture of making that a school a classroom needs if they want to see making in general or makerspace specifically be successful in their school. Yeah. So anybody listening, he's doing just a few things as is any educator <laughs> anymore. We all wear many, many hats. And so what a what a, what, a, what a phenomenal job. You really, your job is not just designing the makerspace, but you really have to put your money where your mouth is with the things that you're trying to ask your students to do because you're trying to figure out a space. Um, but man, what a what an amazing experience to uh, be, be able to do that. It, it really is. Um, some days I legitimately get, play, I get paid to play Minecraft. It's like truly an amazing <laughs> situation I find myself in. But that's cool. You know, it's, 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 it's helping kids learn um, to do a lot of different things um, through math and science. And I spend so much time in math classes now, I never would have dreamt that as a real thing uh, for me as an English teacher. Uh, it's, it's, it's super nuts uh, to think about, but uh, I love it. I'm learning so much, not just like about content, but how to engage kids and other content how different that is from my experience as a high school english teacher yeah and and you said something there that, that triggered actually a conversation i just had with my son last night um he's he's just had his first day of school as, as the recording of this podcast today and he's in eighth grade and, and we had the conversation last night of he was asking me like when should i know what i want to do with my life and we started getting into this whole conversation he was asking me when i knew uh what i wanted to do and I said, you know, I never, like five years ago, never would have dreamed I would have been building with Lego and Minecraft and STEM and Makerspace. I had this goal of being a social studies teacher and, and a basketball coach and things like that. And um, when you said, you know, you never thought you'd been in those mathematic cl classes and things like that. So I have to ask you, like, how and when did you know, I guess I'm asking because he asked me, that you wanted to be involved in education and, and then you know, I know this, it's a long story, so we have to kind of condense it for time, but like, how did you progress from what you're doing now to like where you got started? Because you, you were a former language arts teacher, probably, I mean, always a language arts teacher at your heart and core, but you've kind of made this progression over your career of, of, of the English teacher and then weaving in makerspace and now you're designing a makerspace. And so how does that all evolve? Cause I think a lot of times people feel like they 
they, they go in one job and that's like all they can do, you know, and trying to just empower people to realize like we have so much more if, if, if we're willing to just like go explore and ask those questions of uh, what if. Yeah. Um, I, I guess it, it starts uh, back to the fact that I've always been a tinkerer. I've always been someone that liked to fiddle with things. Um, growing up, my dad um, still is a doctor. Uh, but he had like a workshop in the basement and it was like this grimy, dirty place that he would go and he would build things. And I'd be like, this is the coolest thing ever. Um, you know, this idea that like, here's this like professional who does surgery and does all of these things. And he still likes to just make things with his hand. Um, so you fast forward throughout my life, you know, I came to this sort of like conclusion that, oh, Based on what some teachers told me, the sciences weren't going to be my thing. So I wasn't going to be involved in computers. I wasn't going to be involved in engineering. Um, so I sort of like just ran with that, unfortunately, because I just I wasn't strong in that area. So I just thought I could never do it. You fast forward. Um, I've always been into technology. Uh, my dad um, brought home uh, like the first Macintosh computer, like the desktop. Oh, like yeah. that's what I learned. That's like what I learned to do basic computer on. And he, I still remember the words to this day. He, he sat me down, my brother down, and he said, this is going to be the most important thing for like the rest of your life. And like, I don't even think he even knew like how right he was. Like it's, it's revolutionized how we all interact just in general. And so I had always been interested in technology. And as I became a teacher, I looked to explore ways to integrate more technology i was like one of the very first teachers in my entire high school to have a web page mm. <laughs> you know it was like it, it's it's so crazy to think that 15 years ago that was so ridiculously innovative yes like it was and it was we used windows page maker was that what it was called windows <laughs> yeah 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 i, I think, think i had yeah, right? used, yeah i i used um i bought my own own um software for adobe dreamweaver and i remember i would have to code it all on my computer at home and save it to a flash drive um and then take it into school because you didn't have access to the server like you couldn't do i mean i remember it was like a secret that i actually had access to that and then people were just like what are you doing and i was just like uh i don't know like i, I don't I, I really don't know what i'm doing but i'm, I'm doing this <laughs> whatever it is yeah, yeah. It was, <laughs> i thought it's so funny and, and my kids like they were blown away my students were like what so i'm like yeah i'm just gonna post the homework there so in case you like forget to write it down you can just go home and there it is like that blew their mind like that was just a revolutionary like holy crap like this teacher like is so far on the cutting edge. Um, and then I just kept pushing. I kept writing grants as an English teacher. I was good at writing for things. Um, that was like a benefit for me with writing grants. And so I was the first teacher to get a, a mounted projector in my classroom because the boob tube TV in the corner, I had kids who couldn't see in the back of the room. It was like that simple. Sure. Uh, so I, I just started to move, move, move. And as an English teacher, I moved further away from, standardized testing and more towards project-based learning. And as I moved more towards project-based learning, I wanted to find mo more ways for students to engage and increase access for all of my students, not just the students that had the money at home or the tools at home. Um, and that's what led me to building a makerspace and put it, working with my school librarian and building a makerspace. I wrote a grant, um, got a bunch of money and installed a green screen, a gigantic dry erase paint wall. So we painted the wall. Uh, it was like 98 square feet like of dry erase paint um, just so that kids could come and brainstorm and like do things. And um, I started to see like the level of projects rise from 
so many of our students and our special needs students and our ESL students were able to engage and access these tools and demonstrate understanding to me in ways that were not traditional ways for like an English teacher. Cause I got a lot of the side eyes from people in my department who I love, but they were like, what do you do building a makerspace? Isn't that for science class? You know, isn't that for math class? And um, it's not, you know, making can be anything for anyone. And I sort of took that experience and wrote, um, my first maker book, which is your starter guide to makerspaces, which is a layman's term. I built it and this is how I did it. And here are the things that I failed and succeeded at. And I just sort of share it all out there. Um, and then I wanted to write the, my second book first, the maker vitality about sort of like the mindset, but I just, it wasn't ready. It wasn't cooked yet in the oven all the way. And so I, I joke that my second book is sort of like a prequel. Like you really need to have a culture. Um, if you're going to have a successful space and if you're going to have successful project-based learning and creation um, in your school. But it, it's a weird ride as an English teacher to, to go to doing technology and makerspace and coding and things like that. But, um, you know, I, it's a personal interest I've always had. And then I found ways to sort of bring that into my classroom and engage my students. Yeah, I love that. I love that that natural bridge from PBL to the makerspace. And I've always seen that, too, where... You know, it's it's one of those things where we, we've heard student voice and choice for so long. And so then we, like, tell kids they can do whatever, and then a teacher gets upset when they all do the same thing. And it's always like, but but what other options have we explored with them? And I think that's, like, what you've done is, is, is really the essence of, of, of how we get the makerspace and infused in other classrooms. Because if we don't show them, like, they don't know what they don't know. So, you know, if you don't show them how to green screen or, or I know you do a lot with Raspberry Pi or this or that, like – you're always going to get the same thing because you always default to what you know. And so I think that, that, that that's such a, a, he, a key idea um, as we start to think about how do we infuse that kind of maker, you know, the maker mentality as, you know, the title of your book into any any subject area is really just bringing exposure to the opportunities of how we can express our learning um, and, and, and be able to, to demonstrate our competencies in, in the standards and everything that, that we're trying to teach and learn. So I think that that's so huge. Um, one of the quotes that you have in your book, and I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes to your book, um, because the Mega Mentality book, I loved it. One, you reference a never ending story, which is my favorite movie, <laughs> period. Um, I, I don't even want to know how many hours I've, I've spent watching that as a kid growing up, um, in the old days of VHS at video rental stores. But, um, you have a quote <laughs> in here on uh, page nine from Willy Wonka, the chocolate factory, another great movie. Um, where you, you, you have the quote in there of invention, my dear friends, is 93% perspiration, 6% electricity, 4% evaporation, 2% butterscotch ripple. Um, <laughs> and so as, as you're building your makerspace, I guess the, the question that I, that I have for you is, how do you weave that kind of, of culture into the space that you're creating? Because, I mean, I think that, that quote, I mean, obviously if we could have an abundance of butterscotch ripple, that'd be great. But the idea of invention and the perspiration, and the electricity, and just the energy of learning – how do you get that that going in a in a, in a, a learning space, um, especially now that you're on the ground level trying to build that from the ground up, literally? Oh man, that's a uh, million dollar question. Um, it's, I guess, it, like all things in education, um, I believe it firmly starts with relationships. Um, as a, a person that you know is the makerspace director or whatever, I mean, my job is to connect with teachers and connect with students. And so if I'm not forging relationships with these teachers or these students, um, I won't even know what to present to them 
Um, I won't even know what to share with them um, if I don't get to know them and they won't get comfortable to trust me if they don't know me. I mean, it's as simple as that, right? Like I, I need to create an environment where kids feel comfortable and teachers feel comfortable coming in and saying, I don't know how to do X, but I really want to learn how to do X and I do that here. And sometimes it's willing, being willing to uh, model learning new things and I'm constantly making something and sort of like how like teachers will post like a, what I'm currently reading. Um, I post a, what I'm currently making I love and, that. uh, and I just sort of like, if kids ask me questions, I'll tell them about it. And it could be something, uh, crazy and technical. It could be something like a Lego set, you know, it could be whatever it is I'm making, I throw up there. And when I start my new project, I'll throw that up on there as well. And you know, some kids ask me about it and I can like, dive into and sometimes they're like really interested and they want to start doing it and others are like oh that's cool so it's it's sort of like practicing you know what i'm preaching with them as well um but I, working with teachers and getting into a classrooms like i'm very lucky to be in a place where every classroom door is open like every teacher is like come on in you know like that's just the philosophy for not just for me but for like other teachers throughout the entire k-12 building where it's just like, come down and learn. Like, you know, if you want to come and if you see something, please let me know. Like, it's, it's a really great environment that supports sort of like observations and the, I don't know, what's best to say, non, non-consequence, right? Like, it's just, it's not punitive. If someone comes and watches you, it's, hey, I saw you do some really awesome things. Like, here, I noticed one thing. Um, so I get to do that. I get to pop down into like these classrooms and sit and just learn and then like offer to help if I can. And then um, afterwards, like I sit and just talk with them and just say, Hey, these are some things I saw. And, you know, here are a couple of tools that you might find useful to like help you. And um, it's really great that everyone's been so welcoming and accepting. Cause I know it's not true in every educational setting where some teachers are terrified to have any other teacher observe them. Right. Um, it's, that's something that individually needs to be talked about as a school as an administration, um, because the only way we'll get better is if we are comfortable with, you know, really listening to people that know what best practices are and can talk to us about, you know, things to tweak or make better or to uh, adjust for the best of our students. So um, it, it takes time. It, it takes being a veteran teacher. You know, there are very few things where I say it's really important to be a veteran teacher to do this, um, but be able to watch other teachers and then communicate effectively you know, what you saw takes someone that's been around well over five years, close to 10 years. Um, because you, I always say you don't, you don't really start teaching until you're six because your first five years are just a disaster. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, like if, if you can go back to your first five years and identify anything that was truly that like perfect and amazing, it's one in a million. Um, because I look back at my first five years of treading water, um, <laughs> doing everything that the textbook said, um, handling just about every classroom management problem and not the best way. Right. Uh, you know, it's just like year six for, for me was the, oh, I get it. I don't know anything. And it's okay to tell people you don't know anything because that's the only way you will know something. And um, I didn't take advantage of my mentor until like year six too, because it was like, well, I can't go to them and say I don't know how to do something. They'll fire me, right? Right. Um, this idea of not knowing is is, is such a terrible thing. Um, so it, it's it's being comfortable with that. And so 
that sort of all works itself into like a makerspace or the concept of making is that if teachers feel comfortable being observed, then the classroom will feel more comfortable. And then the kids will feel more comfortable going and getting help and being observed with their projects as well. And so it, it really is a scaffolded approach to learning. And I think as teachers, we need to be very comfortable being in that position to say, I don't know something, I want to learn something and letting kids see that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so funny. I was laughing to myself when you're talking about the teaching of, of year six is because I, now I, when I see former students that I had my first couple of years of teaching, like the first thing I do is apologize. Like, I'm so sorry that you had to be my <laughs> guinea pig of me trying to figure out like survival of education. And they just look at you like, no, you're, it, it was fine. I'm like, no, like really, you just, you, you just didn't know, but really it was, it was a train wreck. Uh, that, that's, that's, I mean, yeah, that's, that's always spot on. And so you were talking a lot about that. I mean, you, you obviously get to work at a school that, that is, is forward thinking and they're doing a lot of amazing things and have a lot of autonomy in you. And I mean, just the fact that you're allowed to put in doors that have three different kind of work areas is, is something that people listening are going, Oh my gosh, that, that would, that would really be nice. And, and so as you get a chance, and I know that you do some presentations in the summer, you get to go out and, and, and you do quite a bit. And even in your book, you have a part where you're talking about the Ghostbusters, another great movie, uh, about, you know, just sometimes taking that, that leap of faith and, you know, in the court case of Ghostbusters, just running and screaming at the ghosts. But in, in this day and age where, where teachers are probably feeling more and more pressure than ever before to kind of conform and kind of, you know, kind of teach to the pacing guide and be on the same page. And um, it, maybe it's not as safe to, to, to take those risks of even though we have this professional insight of what we know, what works best for kids. What do you what do you say to those teachers to to get started? Because, I mean, in there, we know we can't necessarily like redo the whole entire system that we're working in, but there's things that we can do. And so um, if a teacher is listening and they don't have the luxury of, of working with an amazing staff and, and administration that, that, that you have right now, what are those first steps to be able to take that risk? Because I think, I think a lot of times people will, will hear these things and, and they smile, they nod, they enjoy workshops and they're like, yeah, that that's great. But it's the risk isn't quite worth the reward in my mind. I, you know, I don't want to get fired. I don't, I don't want to get in trouble. So like, what do you say to that? Or, and, and what's some of your advice to like, just, to get started to, you know, take that first step into this world that we know works. Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, so I, those are like the, that's like the typical question. Like usually when the session is done, the teacher will come up to me and say, this is who I have as an administrator. <laughs> right. And this is the situation I'm in. And I always say, one, you always need to act with the best knowledge of your current school situation you know i always say that in every session i go you know what's best and what you can get away with and what leeway you have like even my last job it took me like 10 years before they just eventually said okay nick you just go do what you gotta do because (laughs) i was it was like email after email after email of i want to do this i want to try this and you know after i had demonstrated that i knew what i was doing or that the risks i was taking were beneficial to the kids you know if everything panned out um, you know, they just eventually said, go for it. Now it's important for teachers. You have to build up that trust with your administration. And if it's a trust issue and that's, it's tough to build that trust, then it's one of those things sometimes where you find the ways to engage students that still allow you to hit whatever benchmarks you're being held to. And for me, um, you know, I was very much a do and then ask for uh, forgiveness later. You know, right. I, I was yeah. that guy. 
Um, but that doesn't work in every, you know, school situation. So, you know, take the risks that you know you can take. And event hopefully over time that line gets pushed further and further back. You know, go up to the line, do the things that are best for the kids. And if it goes really well, usually the line backs up a little bit. Then take that next step. Um, I found that, again, this isn't true in every situation, but um, I had a lot of autonomy in regards to how I wanted to teach the content, but not the content I had to teach, right? Mm -hmm. So they're like, teach these six books and these seven concepts, and you know, we really don't care how you do it. This is how we generally do it, but at the end of the semester, they have to take the same test as everyone else, so that's kind of what you're geared towards. So how I prepared them for that, you know, was when I decided to make a shift to project-based learning. And it was it was a risk because those students would still have to take the same end of semester exam as the other kids. So the first time I did it, there was legitimate fear that if my kids did not do on this test, like, boom, like that, I, I, I failed them. I failed as a teacher. Um, but it worked out. My kids did just as well and in some ways did better on the uh, semester exam. And, you know, my approach was, hey, I'm not saying my way is better, but my way produced the same results and brought less anxiety to the kids right. and was less work on me as a teacher and had a higher engagement. And then if you really want to get down into the data, which I generally don't, I'm not, data is important. I get it. And there are people that love it and God bless those people. Let them dive into it. Um, but I can get into it when I really, really need to. And our at-risk kids perform better with project-based learning. Our student, uh, special needs students did better. Our ESL students do better with project-based learning because they're using the skills that they have to demonstrate understanding. And say, instead of saying 30 kids sit down, take 50 question, multiple choice tests, and that's it. Um, it's like schools preach differentiation and then they make everyone take a test. <laughs> um, it, it, it's not, and they say, well, differentiation is how they take the test. No, differentiation is how you assess them. You know, just giving them an extra hour in the test, that's super awesome. But there's, I was a bad test taker. Like, I, I just, I'm dyslexic and a multiple choice test with a death in me and filling in bubble sheets. I would always miss a line and then I'd be at like question 51, but for, answer 50 i'd be like how did that happen and then i had to backtrack to find out where i made a mistake like that's what i spent time on instead of letting the teacher know what i knew yeah and so like i remember those things and i you know but my first five years i was too terrified to do what i felt was best because i didn't know what i didn't know and once i gained my feet and i was like i don't want to give these tests these tests are embarrassing i keep some of them still like i still have files of these Huck Finn test I used to give kids and I, I look at them once in a while to remind myself like how far I've come and just that some people still do this like I would ask questions like what was the name of Huck's aunt <laughs> that he found and then I would have like four multiple choice questions and like two of them would be really close but one was what was I doing like what was I assessing like right. what was I assessing and like you said I owe all those kids apologies and it's terrible and it's embarrassing but I encourage those teachers to find the line and get right up close to it and knock it out of the ballpark and then the line will move and then move um it's it's great if you can find yourself your allies so if you can find a teaching partner to do it with if you can find someone within your department uh, to go along with you. There's definitely strength in numbers. Um, and the other thing I love to tell people is to go to your administration and call it a pilot. Mm. 
Mm. So you want to do something as a pilot because there there's, there's a built-in fail-safe for everyone involved that if it doesn't go well, the principal can go, well, you know, it was a pilot. And you go, yeah, I thought it would work and it didn't. And you go, well, you know, cool. Like, thanks for trying that initiative. Um, <laughs> if it goes well, then what I always tell people, like a pilot lasts at least three years because your first year gets the data if it works well. The second year, you need the data to back up the first year data. And then the third year is based on all the tweaks you might have made based on the data from two years. And so by year four, if everything's going well, it's no longer a pilot. It's just it's just policy. It's just what you do. And I joke that with you know some schools, the way administration turns over, by the time you get to year four, you can have brand new administrators and you just tell them, no, it's not a pilot. We just always do it. Right. <laughs> they, they won't know any different. Um but there, there's a lot of security in calling something a pilot that I've, I've found to be successful as well. And if they're super techie, call it uh, a, a project that's in beta. You know, it's still in beta testing. There you go. It's all about those buzzwords, right? You got to make sure you, you, you use the right terminology so it clicks in their brain. I love that. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, to switch gears here a little bit, I want to be uh, respectful of our time, but I do have a couple of questions for you. Um, and this one here is. I'm not asking for like what are the tools for a makerspace because every makerspace is different and I'm I'm, I'm sure you're you're nodding your head in this already. But what I'm looking for here in this question is one of my my favorite superheroes is Batman. I'm not sure what yours is, um, but I love Batman. And so I always like to think about the utility belt. So if you were Batman for the sake of this question, what are those tools that you keep in your utility belt to be successful in a makerspace? And so I'm not suggesting like a 3d printer or this and that, but what are those kind of like go-to tools that like say over, over the course of like a year you come back to, and they could be like actual physical tools. They could be, you know, you can fill in the tool however you want, but as, as you're thinking about the makerspace, like what are some of those like things that you know, you just got to have in order to be successful and allowing kids to be successful. Um, okay. Um, so I'll go with physical first and then I'll go, uh, a little, uh, philosophical after, um, I gotta have with me a raspberry Pi. I have to have with me, uh, a soldering iron. I have to have, um, a glue gun. Yeah. Um, I, 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 utility knife or scissors. Like I need to cut things. Like those are like things that I will consistently use uh, on any given week, at any given time. Like I ran out of glue sticks last year. It was I was embarrassed. Like <laughs> it was like there was like a month left of school, and the next thing I know, the kids had used all the glue sticks, and like everyone just sort of looked at me. And I was like, I didn't know. Like right. I was expecting there's three weeks left of school. Um, <laughs> so like it was like it was a one of those makerspace director faux pas i ran out of um uh, hot glue um sticks so those are like those would be like four like physical objects um uh as uh, non-tangible items um uh you have to be a risk taker um i think that's that, that's a big one in my tool belt is taking risks um and um no fear that goes along with that and um i probably have to say um uh, pride. You need to take pride in the things that you do. Um, I feel like as an educator, we're not allowed to be prideful. Uh, it's like, it's like shunned or yes. looked down upon. Like you're, you're not allowed to be, I mean, there's a difference between arrogance and boastfulness. It's okay to say I made this and it's pretty awesome. And I'm really proud of the fact that I learned how to do this. 
Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. And letting kids see that it's okay to be proud of the things that you create and that you make, um, that you shouldn't hide those things. You shouldn't be embarrassed because that's what it looks like to me when, when you won't share out. It's like you're embarrassed. Like, why are you embarrassed? Like, you did that. Like, I make sure every time a kid creates something that they are just filled with praise because you should be proud when you make something, even if it didn't turn out exactly the way that you wanted. Like, you absolutely want to do that. So I, you, you have to be proud of the things that you make. And, um, man, my utility belt, such a good question. Um, it's, oh, oh, here we go. And then uh, my tribe. You, you need your, 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 your peers, your friends, whether they are digital or physical, uh, right next to you. Um, I, I need them. So whether that's in my Twitter account is in my utility belt or um, my cell phone, but I need my tribe to be with me um, because that allows me to share my failures and successes and to learn from them. And um, that's really important to me for sure. I love that. I love that. And I think that that sharing pieces is, is so huge. I know I just, I just shared, um, we did, I just did a Minecraft build challenge with my son. We did 30 minutes. You have to build a tree house and all you get is 30 minutes. And, like I felt so good about my treehouse until I saw my son's treehouse, and I was like, "Oh, I was like, but man, my treehouse is still pretty awesome." And I think it's that you know being able that willingness to just share and let people know, like, you know, be proud of your work. And I think that's something that 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 is missing with a lot of educators is just that that self belief and that confidence. And so I think that's so so vital to to a lot of this work, whether we're talking makerspace or creating or project based learning or just anything, is that that really that that that, that belief in ourselves. Um, and in order for that to happen, you got to have that tribe like you talked about. So that's uh, some great ideas there. So to be respectful of your time, let's go ahead and we'll kind of kind of bring this to a close because you've you've brought in so many amazing insights for people to, to really think about. And so um, where can people find you if they want to know more about you? You have the your latest book, The Maker Mentality, is out. We'll put a link in the show notes. You have an amazing website that you're constantly sharing projects and how to infuse it into the classroom. Um, you've got your podcast up and running, which is one of the very few podcasts that when I listen, I actually like take notes on because it's, it's so good as well. So you've got a million things going on. So you must have figured out the, the, the magic cure to have a 40-hour uh, day in, in, as opposed to the 24 hours. But someone wants to reach out and learn about you or learn more, where do they go? Yeah, so uh, thenerdyteacher.com is my uh, main website, and um, you can find educational um, stuff there, just in general, musings and education and stuff like that. And uh, themakermentality.com is where I'm starting to shift a lot more of my maker-focused content. Um, So you'll see more maker-specific things and tools uh, starting to be posted there in connection with my book. Uh, You can find both of my books, Your Starter Guide to Makerspaces and The Maker Mentality on Amazon.com. I'm on Twitter at the Nerdy Teacher. Um, my podcast is the Maker Mentality Podcast, and it's uh, through Anchor.fm. Uh, you can find all of that on my website. They're in the uh, side panel columns as well, um, and it's just hosted uh, by myself and a maker educator. And it's all about practices, you know, and, and tips and tricks and tools uh, to make making successful in your classroom. So. I've been very lucky. We've got eight episodes out. I decided to binge them in the sense of like binge uh, cast them and then just release them all at once. Like it just, you know, boom, when they're done, you know, just let it go so that people can uh, binge as they drive to and from work. And they're, they're right there at 20 minutes. Um, That's what the internet told me. They prefer their, their (laughs) podcast at. So that makes everyone uh, super uh, easy to connect with. Um, So I think that's, that's it. I think that's where everyone can find me. 
That's awesome. So we'll make sure we get all those links down there in the show notes. And, and finally, the most important question, as we bring this to a close, what are you making now? So we're not in your makerspace. We don't get to see the signs. So what is your, your, your current project? Or is it the makerspace itself? <laughs> I just finished building Voltron out of Lego. That ah. was, I just finished that. You can oh, you can find me on Instagram, at the Nerdy Teacher too. I, I post pictures from the makerspace and everything that I make on there as well. And I just, it was like eight hours and thousands of pieces and it forms the individual lions and then you can turn the lions into Voltron itself like it actually transforms into Voltron Ooh, it is the most amazing that's that was my summer vacation for myself like that was that was my relaxing bit uh but the other is the makerspace they're finishing construction fingers crossed monday um teachers report back on tuesday so in between meetings all next week um i need to get all the new furniture and all that stuff up and ready to go in the space for kids to come back the uh tuesday after labor day so um i've got some work ahead of me but um those are probably my two current projects that's awesome well nick i can't thank you enough for your time i appreciate it so much and um as always, keep doing what you're doing. Keep leading by example, and I hope anybody listening in follows your journey, gets inspired by the journey, and then uses that as, as, as the fuel needed to go take that leap within their own classroom and within their own schools. So uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Um, I love being able to, to, to share with everyone out there, and if anyone has any questions, uh, please let me know. And uh, I look forward to keep listening to, to your podcast as well. It's awesome. All right. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.